From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington, welcome to the Politics Hour, starring Tom Sherwood. I'm Kojo Nandi. Tom Sherwood is our resident analyst and contributing writer for Washington City Paper. Tom Sherwood, welcome. Hello, everybody. Joining us later in the broadcast will be Vincent Gray. He's a member of the D.C. Council representing Ward 7. He's also the former mayor of the district. Joining us now is Stuart Pittman, the Anne Arundel County Executive. Stuart Pittman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kojo and Tom. Tom Sherwood, before we start talking about Anne Arundel specifically, um, there was a fascinating op-ed in the Washington Post by former Maryland Governor Paris Glendening in which he admits, he says, that he was wrong when he refused to grant parole with anyone for a, with a life sentence. He has now changed his opinion. Tom Sherwood. Uh, yes, it, was, it came as a surprise. You know, uh, the question of parole, who gets parole, who, gets to, who has to stay in jail for the rest of their lives is, is our rolling around in many states. In Virginia, there's a big controversy about the parole board there. But Paris Glendening, the former who served from 95 to 2003, and, um, you know, he just said that he was wrong to say that he would not release people on parole. Uh, I think it was a, a shot in the arm for those who think it's, we're way past the time to reform uh, prison sentences. Mr. County Executive, how do you feel about that issue? Well, I don't have that power, but <laughs> I agree with I, I agree with the the new message from the former governor, and uh, it is it is time to um, to allow that to happen. Not everybody's guilty. Well, as Tom Sherwood likes to say, this is the politics hour, and Tom Sherwood, um, Montgomery County Executive Mark Elrich, has essentially said publicly what he implied to you uh, some time ago on this broadcast when. You asked him whether he was going to run again, and he said that he hadn't announced it, but you should assume he is. Now he's made it, in a way, formal. Well, it's well, not formal, it's, public. Well, <laughs> as formal as Mark Elrich will get, um, yeah. that's when he puts on a tie that was made after 1990. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he did tell, I think it was Bethesda Beat this week, that he would, in fact, run for re-election next year. It's not a surprise. He had told us in early March that he, you know, we could count on him doing that. And if um, maybe that's a good time to turn to the county executive of Anne Arundel County and maybe ask him, uh, is he going to run for re-election next year? He, he won in an upset in 2018. For those who don't know, Mr. Pittman, uh, he beat an uh, incumbent Republican county executive, 52 to 48. Uh, he's been very progressive in that county and which has tended in some ways to be very Republican and likes Larry Hogan, like many Democrats do. But what's the answer, Mr. Pittman? <laughs> well, the answer is that I need to show that uh, this wasn't a one-time thing, that our county's changing and we're moving, moving in a, a better direction. So, um, yeah, that's my plan, but I haven't announced. How's that? Okay, wait. Now, you created a political action committee, Future Matters, uh, taking on all kinds of serious issues. You, you're at the General Assembly looking maybe to get county permissions to raise income taxes on people who make over $500,000. You've been very aggressive on immigration issues and working with ICE. 
Uh, some people have said this uh, Future Matters pack or, or organization could be a good basis to do a statewide campaign. Is a statewide campaign in your list of possibles? Not this time around. And, and I don't know about the future. Um, it is true that, that um, Maryland really does need, I think, a progressive alternative to change Maryland, which the governor created before he ran. But that's not really the, the design of Future Matters. We're, we're out there doing, uh, engaging people in policy conversations, having forums, and trying to talk about stuff that politicians are usually afraid to talk about, like taxes and land use. And, and uh, so we're having some fun with it. But no, it's not a, it's not a platform to run for governor. Or, or any statewide job. But I have to say, if Kojo will let me take over the program for just a moment, for the <laughs> first time in my life, I have read something called the East Coast Equestrian Newsletter. <laughs> and, and you are you are you are known for your support of horses. Former race horse guy. Yes. You have a. I think your family has a historic 500 acre farm. But you said in that uh, in that newsletter couple of years ago when you were running, that you credited your ability to be a progressive politician with your ability to listen to horses and feel what they are trying to tell you. And I have to say, it's the first time I've ever heard a politician talk about horse sense in that sense. Uh, tell, tell the listeners, many of whom may not know you, your county stretches from up near Baltimore all the way to Southern Maryland. Um, what is your horse sense about being a politician? You've never been in office before when you ran for county executive. And are you a horse whisperer? But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I got to tell you that my campaign manager, when I was running, said, Stuart, stop talking about the horse thing. People don't like being compared to horses. But <laughs> there, there is some truth in it. I used to have a blog called Listen to the Horse about how to train, train horses. And, you know, these are hundred, thousand, thousand pound animals that, that can hurt you. And you can't force them to do much of anything. You have to listen to them, connect with them, gain their trust. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's the same, same way with groups of people and in politics. You can't tell people what to think. You have to listen to them, gain their trust. And when you make a connection, then maybe you can move them along a little bit uh, in, in a good direction. So it's, okay. it's, um, it, it is something. I learned a lot of patience with, with those animals, and, uh, and, and it's helped. Okay, let's talk about the coronavirus vaccine. In early February, Anne Arundel had the third lowest immunization rate in the state. How have county officials addressed that? What's been done to improve the process, and where are you now? Well, we're, we're uh, looking for more vaccines. Uh, the, the governor finally did put out some numbers just a couple days ago about uh, you know, how many vaccines per population by county. They've been reluctant to be transparent about that. And, uh, yeah, we... we um, we're near the bottom uh, in terms of numbers of vaccines from the state, and we can't control that. We can just beg and plead and, and cajole, but uh, we get them into people's arms is, you know, within the week that we get them, and our health department has done a fantastic job. 80% of the doses in our county, are they do go through our local health department, and, and we think that's a good thing because they're out in the community and and uh, they do it from a you know they do it from a public health perspective. So we have a centralized system for that for people to register, and then they get called in for appointments. Uh, so we we I and, and all the big seven county executives, in fact, have been really pushing the governor hard, trying to get the state to do something similar, um, because we have this vaccine surfing problem that the folks who you know are best on computer can and, and have time to sit around and surf on the internet 
are the ones who get vaccinated first. And that doesn't make any sense from a public health perspective. While, while we're on the subject of Governor Hogan, in late January, the government responded to a constituent's comment on Facebook, and he said that your county, Anne Arundel County's lead public health officer, quoting here, doesn't really know what he's talking about when it comes to the topic of reopening schools. What is your feeling about that, and what is the nature of your working relationship with the governor? Well, that was curious, and and I think the governor probably realized afterwards that it might not have been a wise thing to do because there was a big backlash. And in fact, our health officer didn't disagree with the governor about opening schools. He also wanted to open schools, Dr. Nilesh Kalyanaraman, and and uh, I don't know why he said it. Um, my relationship with the governor, he does live in our county. He runs a real estate development company called the Hogan Companies um, out of our county and does a lot of development business here. Um, we've been a little tougher on developers in this county uh, and, and enforcing some of our environmental regulations. And so, you know, there's been some, some, some friction there built in. Um, yeah, I think he wasn't happy to see a Democrat win in this county. Um, but uh, I met with him soon after he made that comment um, or had a phone call anyway with his staff. And it's, it's civil, but, you know, you always got to push the higher level of government to do what's right for your people. And we do that. Our guest is Stuart Pittman. He's the Anne Arundel County Executive. You talked about development. Susan in Annapolis, Maryland, wants to talk about one. Susan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Um, thank you, Kojo. Um, and I wanted to thank um, Mr. Pittman for all of the good work he's done so far. I um, campaigned for him, uh, especially thinking of the environment. And I wanted to know if you were aware of the rowing facility they were planning for Quiet Waters. It's in one of the most sensitive areas and a very unique area with a lot of SAVs and, um, you know, bird life and, and you know, um, the wood duck and things like that. And so I was wondering if you were aware of it and if you, either way, if you were or weren't, if you'd be willing to take a walk there with some of us from the community and also walk at a place that Jeff Holland... Well, Susan, I'm assuming you are opposed to this rowing facility being put up yeah. there. Uh, what do you say, Mr. County Executive? That's funny that the hottest topic in the county right now came up as the first call. It, it, um, it's very controversial. I think people were um, thought that because our rec and parks did, had done a study under the previous administration and they're looking at different places for more water access, which I do, I do support water access um, and, and uh, building a floating dock in a really sensitive area at Quiet Waters Park. Um, that plan uh, is not uh, by any means set in stone and we're looking at alternative sites for that as well. So stay tuned. Um, not, and, not a done deal. And Susan wants to know if you'll join them for a walk in the park. Sure. <laughs> Call my office. Tom Sherwood. <laughs> for those of us who don't know, where is Quiet Waters? Quiet Waters Park is is really at the edge of Annapolis uh, on the South River off of the Chesapeake Bay. And we have 530 miles of coast in Anne Arundel County, including the city of Annapolis is in our county, of course. And, and uh, it's really important that we protect the, the water and the, the bay and the natural environment. Um, and at the same time, we want to provide access to it for people. With, uh, most of it's privately owned, and, and uh, we need to get people experience in the water in order to support it. So those are sometimes competing, competing goals. If we only have about one minute left in this segment, Tom Sherwood. Go ahead. Oh, I want to ask a question about the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. We're going into the season where tens of thousands of people in the Washington area go over the bridge, go to the eastern shore of the ocean. Um, but I don't think you have time to answer it, so I'll wait. I'll ask the question. I was reading up on you, and you're not so sure the state needs to build a new 
third span of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge and you're concerned about maybe building even a new bridge along the way there, I'd like to hear your answer when we come back. Well, you don't have to wait. We have about 40 seconds, so you can start answering, Mr. County Executive. Okay. So, yeah, I am not sure that that's the best use of, what, 7 to $10 billion. I would have loved to see the state put in the red line coming in and out of Baltimore instead. Uh, the, the, the need for it is based on development projections on the other side. of the- Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Bridge, and I think that uh, for now we can get by with the two spans that we have and not not creating all that environmental destruction that, that a third span would cause. I'm Kojo Nandi. Welcome back. Tom Sherwood, before we get back to the Anne Arundel County Executive, Governor Northam of Virginia has endorsed Jay Jones for Attorney General, even though the incumbent, Mark Herring, is running. And the headline in the Virginia pilot talked about Mark Herring calling for Northam's resignation. Northam, however, says that he has been close with Jones and his family for a very long time. Sherwood. Uh, and that's it. Um, Mark... Um Mark Herring, you know, did have to say in 2017 he was going to run for governor, and he stepped aside when it looked like Northam was going to have a better run for governor. And so Herring ran for a third term, I mean, second term as attorney general. Um, and now he wanted to run for governor this time, and, and just after all the issues of blackface politics in Virginia, he couldn't. But Northam says this is not any animosity. It's just that he he thinks it's time for new new blood, new leadership in the state. Uh, Jay Jones is is a thoughtful member from around the Hampton Roads area. That's where Governor Northam's from. Uh, There's probably some personal politics in there, but I don't know enough about it to say precisely what it is. Mr. County Executive, you're supporting a statewide bill that would give local governments the authority to change taxing structures. Before I ask you about that, let's hear from Paul in Saverna Park. Paul, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Paul. Are you there? Paul called us very early on in the broadcast, and he wanted just to make a point that you said you were not going to raise taxes, but you have already raised county taxes twice. Um, how would you respond to that? Well, um, I did not actually say that I would not raise taxes. And when my opponent invited me to a, a signing ceremony to promise not to raise taxes, I was not there. Uh, what I said was that we would make decisions about about revenue based on on projected needs, and uh, and we did have to do a income tax and a property tax increase that first year in our budget in order to do the infrastructure needs, police, fire, and education. Uh, we have the the fourth lowest uh, 
property taxes in the state and the seventh lowest, I'm sorry, the fourth lowest income taxes and the seventh lowest property taxes in the state out of 24 counties. So we're proud of our low tax rates, but um, we have had to adjust them. How would you like to change the taxing structures? Well, I would like to be able to do higher rates on the uh, income tax side for higher income folks and lower rates for lower income folks. And so what we did last year was we brought a bill to the legislature that would allow local jurisdictions to do that. Um, Until 1999 in in Maryland, the income taxes were piggybacked on the state rate. And the state rate is progressive, higher income, higher rate. And uh, we had to go to a flat rate, all the counties in Maryland. And so we've said, let us create brackets. Uh, You know, it's been a rough time for low income people in this pandemic. Uh, The wealthier folks have done pretty well. Uh, the Trump tax cut went to the wealthy. Uh, it's time to do something for the regular working people. And so uh, we got the support of the Maryland Association of Counties, and that bill is moving through the General Assembly as we speak. Tom sure this, this, is, this bill would, as I understand it, would allow the uh, local jurisdictions to tax income above 500000 that's a, there's an issue in the district, too. The D.C. Council members, Charles Allen, they're trying to make a change to do a wealth tax on people. I think it's over 250000 in the city. Yep. But is that correct, the figure, 500000 Mr. Yeah, that's the top Maryland rate, 500000 taxable income. So you could be making more than that, but 500000 taxable um, for individuals at 600 for families. And there used to be a wealth tax in Maryland for a while, and it was, it was repealed. And the bill would allow counties to go a little above the 3.2 max, 3.2 uh, percent, to go to 3.5 for that. In our county, that's 1.4 percent of our taxpayers. Um, the well, bill's been amended, so it probably won't allow folks to go above 3.2, but below 3.2, which is the state max, we can do the brackets. And, and there are only a couple of central Maryland counties that are below 3.2. We're at 2.8, and so we'll be using it. The, the counties that are already at 3-2, will prob- it would cost them money to do this, and they'll probably not be doing that. But that's their call. We got an email from a listener who says, can you ask the county executive about commercial fishing bill, which is being considered? The bill would specifically open the Lake Ogleton, Whitehall Creek, and Meredith Creek waterways to commercial harvesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't support that bill. That would put nets out in, a, in pretty sensitive areas, rivers and streams that... Uh, of the, the, where we're trying to grow grasses and potential damage could be great. And we're trying to increase the, you know, the fish population. Then here is Gloria in Upper Marlboro. Gloria, your turn. Go ahead, please. Thank you very much, Kojo. You guys happened to mention my governor, Hogan. <laughs> I am a blind 83-year-old activist. And during this time of of competing emergencies, COVID, having to vote differently. Uh, The leadership in Maryland is doing a terrible job because persons who are differently abled, I don't teach disabilities. I think the people who have disabilities are the ones who won't make room for us at the table. It should be level ground. Uh, there There was no audio phone you could pick up and find out anything. I had a maskless driver. On the 6th, 15th of December, I have called 311, called the governor's office, called the county exec's office. I'm still trying to find out what one does about that. Um, Okay, allow me. Go ahead, please. To see you have uh, or somebody 
have a discussion related to the fact that the Americans with Disabilities Act, who our good friend Steny Hoyer said was the most amazing legislation uh, involving people with challenges, someone needs to have a show about that so we get um, the moral fortitude to legitimate. We shouldn't celebrate, but okay. we won't legitimate. Allow me to have the county executive respond to your sentiments. Well, I'm, I am very sympathetic. I can't imagine how horrible it would be to find out that the driver didn't have a mask on and um, you couldn't see that, so uh, didn't put the mask on. Um, the, you know, the ADD is, is um, something that every county is um, working on. We've, we've done a big study to try to get all, all of our parks more accessible, and we're doing a lot of work on it. But it's, um, it's a long uphill climb, and the advocates need to keep organizing, keep fighting to get all of the ADD stuff uh, um, uh, implemented. I'm sure. Because we're not doing it. We're, we're uh, not there yet. Mr. Uh, Mr. Pittman, the uh, Maryland Senate this week passed nine major policing bills. One of them would eliminate the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, which uh, basically keeps uh, police officers from being sued. It has will create a new citizens board to con- review complaints, uh, address uh, banning police officers from the prof- uh, from the profession if they're convicted of police brutality, all kinds of things like that. Uh, but you also this past December uh, appointed a new police chief who had spent her, most of her career in Prince George's County. Uh, how is, I think just in December, how is Chief Awood doing now? She's doing great. She's Tell been out in the community a lot. Uh, she, uh, you know, we interviewed people from all over the country and we were glad to find somebody who was fairly local um, from Prince George's. She was the Hyattsville chief. Um, she's an African-American woman. So it was a bit of shock to the system to a, you know, 80 some percent white county and, and or 80%. So, it it um, it's been fascinating to watch um, her earn the trust and I think the admiration of the police officers and the community, and and uh, I feel like we've just we've, we've made a great choice. And some have said she's the future of policing, uh, and and um, um, she actually worked in our county as a chief of staff under a former chief um, before. So we are glad to have she, her. She'd been the chief of Hyattsville. Yes, she was chief of Hyattsville before, yeah. In the minute we have left, Mike from Harwood emails, county parks have experienced unprecedented demand in the last year. Do you have a plan to increase the availability and capacity of county parks? We have a capital improvements budget that has a lot of park projects in it, increasing funding for maintenance as well. But yeah, it's been wonderful to see a pretty close to a 30% increase in park uh, activity during the warmer months um, during COVID. And we actually made our regional parks that had fees. Um, we made them free when the pandemic started and encouraged people to get outside. And um, it's been a great thing. I think our public now supports uh, funding for Reckon Parks um, to a higher level than they did in the past. And finally, Heather sent us an email. I want to publicly thank the Anne Arundel County Health Department for their response to my request for a COVID vaccination. I have now had both shots. Thank you, County Executive Pittman and your health department. And good for you, Heather. Mr. County Executive, thank you for joining us. Wow, that's a great great way to end. Mm-hmm. We're going to get everybody vaccinated. We hate ending like that, but we we did it anyway. Stuart Pittman is the Anne Arundel County Executive. I'm Coach Onamdi.
Welcome back. Please do not misunderstand when I said at the end of the last segment we hated ending like that. I did not mean we hated ending because that person had gotten their vaccination. We were happy about that. We hate ending with somebody heaping effusive praise, praise on an elected official. That said, that said, joining us now is Vincent Gray. He's a member of the D.C. Council representing Ward 7. He's a former mayor of the District of Columbia. Mayor Gray, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. I appreciate very much uh, you having me on, and good afternoon to you all. Before we start with um, Mayor with Mayor Gray Tom Sherwood, um, the militant Trump supporters who had been anticipated by somebody somewhere to show up at the Capitol yesterday because March the fourth was the originally date original date of the swearing in did not materialize. But I guess um, we were at least at the Capitol. Law enforcement seemed to be a little over prepared for this. You know, it's unfortunate that uh, for the January 6th riot, the bu- police bureaucracy with the Capitol uh, Hill Police and, and the Department of Defense and National Guard, uh, federal agencies were simply not prepared and did not respond properly. And now they have gone the flip side, like a pancake. They flipped completely. And now they've got all this. They want to keep the fences up there far for another 60 days, 5,000 National Guards people. They, so they overprepared for this alleged uh, right-wing assault on March the 4th, which did not happen, did not even come close to happening. So it really raises a question about what the hell are these uh, security officials doing? They're, they've locked off our entire Capitol grounds from the tourists who would come this spring if they could come. And uh, they're going to lock that place down, all because bureaucratically the police can't figure out what the hell to do. Sorry, you know, this subject is irritating to me. Mr. Gray, how do you feel about this? Well, I think it's uh, absolutely absurd. Uh, I agree with uh, what Tom is saying that, you know, we've we've allowed ourselves to be cowed by these people. We we were obviously not prepared uh, on the 6th of January when this first occurred. And now are we going to have to... uh, hear about people, you know, one week or another. I mean, this was just ridiculous yesterday uh, that, you know, Trump was going to come back and be sworn in as the president of the United States. Uh, You can't be overprepared, it seems to me. So I'm glad that they were prepared for this, but I'm glad it didn't happen uh, either. Uh, We're going to have to take these people seriously, uh, unfortunately. And, um, you know, the the racism uh, is just rampant uh, with these folks. And, We've got to do something to shut them down uh, as well. And Tom Sherwood, uh, D.C., um, uh, the the member of Congress, I call her Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, she's our delegate to the United States Congress. She has asked Johnny Scott Rice, who everybody in this town knows, to step down from her judicial nomination commission because of a derogatory reference to someone's religion. And... um, this is one of these, I guess, microaggressions that uh, that in 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 Maryland and Montgomery County, Nancy Navarro of the council was also complaining about when people mimicked her Latina accent in what seemed to be a derogatory way. Tom Sherwood. Yes, these are both microaggressions in some sense, but uh, outright prejudice in others. Uh, uh, council member, former Mayor Gray, knows Johnny Scott Rice better than probably anybody. Um, she's 80 years old now. She was on the uh, Delegate Norton's commission to uh, review judge appointments, and she made this horrible remark. 
She apologized immediately afterwards when Ms. Norton asked her to step down. She said that it was an ugly outburst from a long past encounter with one of the candidates that the commission was interviewing. Uh, there's no excuse for what she said. You know, she had worked uh, on the staff of David Catania. She was a long time. Uh, I think she was on every campaign for mayor of, of Carol Schwartz. It was just stunning to me that she said that. And in Montgomery County, Nancy Navarro, the first Latino member of the council, as I understand it, you know, she's talking and this uh, IT guy and somebody from the Montgomery Cable uh, were back talking, making fun of her accent. It's, it, I don't know how many times we can have people, quote, caught doing these things, but it, it's, it's very discouraging and depressing to see it happening daily, you know, endlessly. Councilmember Gray, can you comment? Well, I know uh, Johnny Scott writes very well. Uh, she's uh, very outspoken, uh, very candid, you know, in what she says. And I'm glad that she apologized uh, for what happened. I'm sorry that this happened uh, in the first place. Uh, she lives in Ward 7, and I know her very well. And uh, she's just quite candid and just quite open, you know, with her comments. And uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take her to you know face value in terms of the apology uh, that sure. was extended. I'm glad it was extended, and I, I hope it was heartfelt and will will be observed uh, in the future. You chair the council's health committee, and this morning DC residents faced problems again registering for the COVID nineteen vaccine, similar to what happened last week. Do you know what went wrong this morning? Well, it's it's, it's best I can understand because we were we were with uh, council members last night. We had a very lengthy session uh, with a number of folks who are involved working with uh, the technology officials in the District of Columbia, as well as the uh, Department of Health. Uh, uh, we had seven council members uh, on this call with us last night. We were on, we started at nine o'clock, at least in my hearing did, started at nine o'clock yesterday morning, and we didn't finish uh, this part of the uh, session until 8.30 uh, last night. And it appears that uh, some of the same problems that we had experienced uh, previously uh, occurred again uh, this morning. Uh, people couldn't get on the call right at 9 a.m., which they were supposed to be able to do. It wasn't until a little after 9 uh, that they actually got on the call. And uh, then the, the continued uh, issues around whether they were actually able to get in a timely fashion, get a, uh, an appointment uh, to move forward. So, um they supposedly, uh, you know, we hope that this we hope that this is going to be solved, but we certainly won't know. We won't know until, you know, we see, uh, you know, see them actually in operation uh, on a daily basis from this point forward. Uh, people are very frustrated uh, at this stage. Um, you know, we've moved into a phase now where we're supposed to be able to uh, actually uh, get our, you know, folks who are within certain age groups, get them. Uh, registered uh, to be able to vote, not to, not to vote, but to be able to get a uh, get the vaccine. Um, one of the things that I think is going to be good, uh, Kojo, is the fact that uh, we hope it's good, let's put it that way, and that is we're moving into a registration system also so that when people give their information, uh, that information will be retained and they will be able to then, that will be available to those who are operating these portals uh, and can give get information immediately to people when it's their time to be able to uh, get their appointment and to be able to move forward. So we've got some work to do. Uh, the city had done well uh, in a number of ways uh, up to this point, um, but we're tripping over ourselves at this stage because of the uh, 
the problems with the uh, with the software and uh, the portal, and actually now getting people into this registry system, this registration system that we want to operate. Tom Sherwood. Mr. Council Mayor, I, th I think you would understand the mayor and her administration want to do good, whether they do or not. Yeah. And we, lots of people have had problems with vaccines. But, you know, you mentioned there's going to be a new system next week of where the city will pre-register people with the information you just referenced. But then it turns out, according to Alyssa Silverman, a council member and other council members who last night were told it's not clear who is going to do the pre-registration. I don't want to get bogged down in the mechanics of it, but you've been the mayor and now you're the head of the health committee. How is it that months after we knew we were going to have vaccines, that we just simply don't have a system where people who need to get a vaccine can sign on, sign up and get the shot? It's mystifying to me. Well, it's just not acceptable, Tom. Uh, you know, we talked about it extensively last night. There were n numerous council members who asked questions about where we were. And the statement was made uh, during the session last night that there was still a question about who was going to be the vendor. Is it going to be Microsoft? Is it, it going to be Accenture? Next week. Uh, oh, yeah, and it, it starts, starts next week. week. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And this stuff needs to be settled now. Uh, there are four or five people who are working on this uh, aspect of it. Some of them work for the uh, the chief technology officer's uh, office, and others work for DC Health. And uh, the folks who the folks who are responsible for this have to be on top of this. They need to make help people understand exactly how this is going to operate, and when the calls are, are to be made. People need to be able to have those calls answered, and they need to be able to get on so they can make their appointments. With this registration system, uh, we've got to be able to make that work. I have a couple of political questions, if Kojo will let me drop them in now, if we don't have anyone on the line. Once they're quick. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's been a real controversy downtown, Mr. Council Member, about a, a limiting the noise that street vendors and uh, buskers or whatever they're called. Uh, that The bill was canceled after a couple of years. Uh, no action was taken. Council Chairman Mendo, Mendelson, uh, uh, Pendo, Pinto, and Anita Bonds have introduced legislation to limit noise downtown. Are you going to be supporting that, or do you need to know more information? I'm going to need to know more information, okay. Uh, Tom. Okay. I mean, and you know, that's you know, a very people, controversial people, issue. It is very, very controversial. And, of course, what, you know, part of the problem is people live downtown and people need to understand that. That's what we have as, as part of our downtown right. presence at this point. And the other thing, both the mayor and the council chairman have introduced bills to legalize recreational marijuana. There may be some congressional issues to get over. But where do you stand on uh, legalizing recreational marijuana? Well, I think I'm going to be supportive taxed. of it. Yeah, I know the chairman okay. introduced his bill uh, earlier this week, uh, so right. I'm going to be supporting uh, his bill, unless there's something about it that I don't know, but I don't think hey, so. One last one. This is the lightning round. I apologize for interrupting you. There was a report <laughs> just a short a short time ago on the uh, 106 FM, the sports uh, radio station, reported that the NFL has received a report from uh, Beth Wilkinson, the lawyer investigating the Washington football team, saying that the owner should be forced to sell, that Dan Snyder should be forced to sell. The um, NFL has said since then that that report's not true, but it's still possible that the report will be very damaging to Mr. Snyder when it comes out. Do you still support, it's in your ward, do you still support bringing the Washington football team back to the RFK site if the team incurs all its costs in building it? 
Well, uh, that, that, of course, has been discussed. Now, Mr. Snyder is one of the most unpopular owners uh, in the National Football League. Uh, he has never been popular among the people here uh, in the city. Um, you know, him him paying for the cost. Well, in fact, he even said that to me, that he, if we were you know, to support him coming back, bringing the team back to uh, the District of Columbia, uh, that uh, he would pay for the costs that are associated with it. I think there's just a lot of conversation that have to be uh, held uh, had. Uh, there are lots of people who don't 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 support the team at all uh, in terms of being back in the District of Columbia. So I'd be happy to participate in the conversation, Tom. But right now, uh, there's a lot of work to be done to be able to get to that point. Again, the but numbers. Just, I apologize. You hmm. you would be for it if you could work out all the details, or you are against it, like Charles Allen is up in Ward Six. He's against it. Well, he doesn't care what. Yeah, this this is worth seven, of course, but you know I I want to hear exactly how this is going to work. Okay, uh, and I haven't heard that yet. There have been plans in the works for years to bring a new hospital to Southeast D.C. to replace the United Medical Center. This would be run by George Washington University Hospitals. Um, there were a whole lot of approvals that had to be granted. Councilmember Gray, where do those plans stand now? From what I've been seeing, you've gotten, it seems like, just about all of the approvals that you need. But uh, could you tell us where the process now stands? I can, uh, Coach. I appreciate the uh, question very much. Um, we are moving forward. We, we have never had a real health care system uh, of any kind at all. We've had a, a hospital in the United Medical Center, which has been there since the mid-1960s, uh, uh, in, located on the east end of the city. Um, and now we are moving forward with creating a real health care system a system that will result in having, uh, when, when we finish this, we'll have a brand-new hospital uh, that's going to be built on the grounds of uh, St. Elizabeth's and will be convenient to the people who live uh, in wards uh, 7 uh, and 8. Uh, we'll have an ambulatory care uh, facility that's being built uh, as well uh, that's going to be uh, right adjacent to uh, the hospital. And what we're going to have this year, guys, uh, is two urgent care centers. We've never, ever had an urgent care center uh, on any in, in either Ward 7 or Ward 8 uh, of the District of Columbia. So uh, there will be a Ward 8 uh, uh, urgent care center, the site for which has already been uh, identified. We're going to have the same thing uh, in Ward 7. So what we're moving towards, and I'm excited about it. I actually started working on this when I was the mayor. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that we have now uh, the chance to create for the first time ever a real health care system that people can go to in their own uh, in their own uh, neighborhoods. Uh, George Washington University, as you indicated, will be operating the uh, hospital, and uh, we're excited about the fact that they're coming with a with an excellent reputation for how they provide services, and uh, we want them to have the relationship with the community that uh, they should have. The urgent care centers, you said, will be completed this year. When will when is the hospital expected to be completed? The, the hospital will, uh, from, from the time we started, which is now last, we started this process uh, last July when we uh, finalized all the approvals. Uh, now, that will probably run to 24 uh, before the hospital is completely finished. Uh, we obviously wish that we're, we're quicker uh, than that. But you know what? Uh, we're investing... $383.7 million uh, in this healthcare system, and we want it to be done right and done in concert with the needs of the people who live 
in wards uh, seven and eight. We have 162,000 people uh, who live collectively in wards seven and eight, and we want them to have the best possible health care system uh, that they can have uh, available to them, and they so will. you're saying that the pandemic has not slowed plans for the hospital? It has not. It has not. Okay. Uh, we just had okay. a conversation right. yesterday about okay. that with uh, the folks who were involved with it. And, I'm and, sure. And by the way, the architect has been selected also. Oh, cool. Well, that's, I'm sure. 24 is, 24 is late, but it, it, uh, I, hope, I hope you stick to that schedule. I want to ask you about a significant development in your, in your ward, Benning Road and Minnesota Avenue. For people who don't know where that is, it's across the river, Anacostia River, from the RFK Stadium. That's the general area. Uh, that's long been needing all kinds of economic development. And there used to be a gay bar there called the Eagle. It, it, it uh, went out of business. And now there's a plan uh, by the Federal Bureau of Prisons to allow a private company, Core DC, to build a facility for 300 ex-offenders returning to uh, citizenship to, it's kind of like a halfway house, it's what the Bureau of Prisons would call it, 300 people. Uh, I'm just wondering, it seems like you have supported returning citizens in the past. Mm -hmm. You have opposed this facility saying it's too large, it's a recreation of what could just be a terrible thing to to manage, and it ought to be spread out around the city, not in one place. Without getting into all the who's and what for's, why are you opposing it? I think it's too large, Tom. Uh, and I have indicated, too, as you, you've noted uh, in your comments, I am a huge supporter of uh, returning citizens. Um, I had a gentleman who came to work for me when I was the mayor. Uh, he, uh, he had talked about return, you know, having reentry programs, which I hardly support. And uh, he was with me from the very time I was elected mayor till all the way through uh, my term until uh, the transition was made to a new new administration. So um, it's just too large. And we have gotten no feedback uh, that, that uh, you know, no feedback that would allow us to understand why you have to build this thing this way. Why, why can't you spread this out, even, even if it's on the same ground, why can't you spread this out differently than what we have? I haven't seen any architectural plans. Uh, I haven't seen any programmatic plans uh, at all. So um, we, we have asked, less information. Uh, you, you, you asked, have. Uh, you've asked uh, Delegate Norton to uh, write another letter, as I understand it, to the Bureau of Prisons, asking it to take a second look at this because of, of the lack of information about what would be there. Yes, that's correct. And uh, okay. absolutely, Tom, we, we, I'm a, I am a supporter. I don't want to be redundant, but I, I am a supporter. I want to make this work. But we've got economic development plans. We've got the shopping center across the street where the Safeway is located. is being completely rebuilt uh, at this stage. The city itself is building a new headquarters of the Department of General Services, which will be essentially adjacent to where it is that they're planning uh, to build uh, this halfway house. Mm -hmm. So there's an awful lot of work. I, I don't have any. I have nobody who, who, in, in, who lives in Boy 7 who's stepped up and said they're really supporting uh, doing this. Uh, there are people who support reentry programs like me, but they don't have Where's enough information to be able to make an intelligent decision. Well, last Where's month, you issued a disapproval resolution last month to stop the renewal of a contract with Core DC, um, which has gotten this contract from the Federal Bureau of Prisons to hope to, to create or develop this, this um, reentry halfway house. Um, but 
um, why are you tying it to the homeless shelter? Are you looking for for some kind of room to negotiate here? Absolutely. Uh, we're trying to get Core DC to recognize that the magnitude of what they want to put there is just unacceptable to me and so many others uh, who live in Ward 7, and that we want them to work with us to try to come up with something different. Uh, we've reached out, of course, to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the CEO of the organization of Core DC. Um, we, had, we had a Zoom uh, call with uh, folks from Core DC, but the CEO didn't participate uh, in that. And I don't know the answer as to why he didn't participate. Uh, so I think, I think if they want to have acceptance, uh, which I would certainly support, I've already indicated that, uh, in Ward 7, They've got to step up and try something different than 300 people in the same building. That's an awful lot of people. Uh, it was it, you're right, Tom. There was a, this Eagle Club uh, that used to be uh, on that site. They've now raised uh, that. Uh, the, the Advisory Neighborhood Commission has been very opposed to it. Uh, they've made it clear uh, that they don't want uh, the configuration that they've put together. I haven't had anybody say to me that uh, they would like to have. Uh, 300 people living in the same uh, place. Uh, there are people who support reentry programs. Uh, some of these folks are probably people who that would come. There would probably be pe- people who lived one time in Ward Seven. So I'm not going to be a part of something that simply rejects people like that. I know. I know we have to move on to other issues, but I did check on the Bureau of Prisons uh, website of the 156 or so similar facilities around the country. I only saw one that was this large. So it does. Okay. It does seem the size and management of it is the issue, not whether to help or not. Only got about two minutes left. But Maya tweets: What plan do you have to make the Safeway on Minnesota Avenue a better product for Ward Seven? What changes have been made since you conducted walkthroughs a couple of years ago? Yeah, well, I've conducted walkthroughs, of course, and I've worked very closely with Safeway. In fact, they've been uh, very forthcoming uh, working with us. They've been they've donated lots of food, uh, especially during this pandemic. Uh, to people who live uh, in Ward 7. So um, we've improved the quality of what goes on in that Safeway. And ironically enough, uh, Kojo, uh, to the caller also, we only have two uh, full-service grocery stores in the entirety of Ward 7, which is which is different and consistent uh, with so many others uh, around the city. Um, we need to have full-service grocery stores because it's a part, when we talk about health, it's a part of health. Uh, being able to understand how you know that people need to eat properly, so Safeway has been uh, has worked very hard uh, to do something different uh, than what they've done uh, heretofore. Uh, I appreciate the work that they've done, uh, and we hope that we get more grocery stores. We, we, I've got legislation that would authorize the city to build grocery stores for people who live uh, on the east end of the city. Uh, that would include Ward Seven, and that would include Ward Eight. Also, we just need to get it fully funded. And I'm afraid that's about all the time we have. Vincent Gray is a member of the D.C. Council representing Ward 7. He's a former mayor. He is a Democrat council member mayor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. Thank you, Tom. Thank you all very much. And would love to come on and continue to talk about what we're doing with health care in the future and what we do about some of these other issues that we're facing right now. Again, thank you for joining us. Today's Politics Hour was produced by Sidney Granon. Coming up Monday, Sophia El Hello's debut novel, Home is Not a Country, has been hailed as nothing short of magic. She joins us to talk about her latest work and what it means to be caught between life in America and dreams of her home country, Sudan. 
Then it's Kojo for Kids with composer and conductor Rob Capello, who's getting kids into classical music by putting music to beloved children's books like the Polar Express. That's Monday at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and have a great weekend. What are your plans this weekend, Tom Sherwood? I'm going to enjoy the sunshine. In, the, in other words, you're going to be out and about this weekend. To match my personality, I'm going to have a sunshiny personality. Oh, wow. Tom's changing. <laughs> no. <laughs> thank, thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nam. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.